Right now, new and returning vidIQ customers can buy one month of vidIQ and get the second month free. This offer is going on until July 31st and can be used towards a purchase of either a pro or boost level account. All you have to do is visit vidIQ.com bonus. If you've been looking to unlock our full suite of tools, now is a great time. You have until July 31st, vidIQ.com bonus. Welcome to Tube Talk, the show dedicated to helping you become a better video creator so you can get more views, subscribers, and build your audience. Brought to you by vidIQ. Download for free at vidIQ.com. Hello and welcome back to the Tube Talk podcast. I'm Dan Carson, joined as always by Mr. Rob Wilson. Hey, Dan, how is everybody today? Hope you're all good, creating awesome stuff Looking forward to another exciting interview that we have lined up today. Dan, who are we talking to? We're talking to Aurelius Tijin today. And we're going to be going in depth on a lot of the things that he covers on his channel. A lot of tools that, you know, would be helpful for creators at like all kinds of levels. So stay tuned for that. And uh, if you're wondering what's going on, we're we're testing some different, uh, you know, things and stuff with the show. So we've been doing outros for the last couple of episodes. And we thought, well... We want to talk at the beginning of the show about some things, some some YouTube news, and also just we're going to honestly break the fourth wall a little bit and talk about <laughs> ourselves for a sec. Uh, we in well, one of those in the context of inviting our community into this podcast, Dan. Like, of we're, we're not just I'm not just going to uh, sing your praises and you sing my praises. We're going to let our audience do. It, I think that's the best way, best approach. I think. It it is, and uh, this this will be very self serving though. I apologize in advance. <laughs> uh, we in one of those outros asked, you know, hey, if you leave us some reviews, who knows? Maybe maybe we'll read said reviews, and we'll have to on the air. It's just going to happen. And sure enough, we got a new review here, five star review from well, Titan five Gamer. Stars. Presumably out of five stars, right? It's like the full star treatment. It is actually out of 27 stars. Oh. Yeah, the Apple rating system has changed. I'm not sure what's wow. going on over there. Yeah. Um, but Cook, yeah. What, what's happening? <laughs> yeah, what happened there? Anyway, so five-star review from Titan Gamer on YT. That's their name. And it's titled An Awesome Podcast. <clears throat> Good work on this podcast, guys. I'm a small YouTuber with less than 100 subscribers, but I had a video get tons of views on shorts because of me listening to this and finding what my viewers like. Thank you so much. Oh, Titan Gamer. Thank you for the wonderful words. You're very welcome. As I always say, uh, we are a small part of your success. I like to think of vidIQ wherever we are as putting signposts in the road, but you're driving the car and doing all of the hard work. Uh, But it's great to see that we have another small success story from the things that we talk about, not only on this podcast, but on the the YouTube channel as well. So you're very welcome, Titan Gamer. And I think if anybody else wants to give us five out of 27 star (laughs) reviews uh, and be very gracious or indeed comical, I think we should, you know, we'll read out one a week, Dan, or whenever we get some. I I like that idea. And uh, yeah, thank you, Titan Gamer, for sending that to us. And I'm really glad to hear that you're, you know, applying and adapting as you're creating videos and shorts uh we we talked to uh block facts recently and he had a ton of stuff to say about shorts a big time shorts creator and uh there's so much to be said for learning about your audience making consistent short form content and then what block facts has done just a follow-up on that episode he said i might be experimenting long form content soon 
he actually did. He made a 10-minute video, again, about block facts on his channel. And it already, last time I checked, it was yesterday. It had 200,000 views in just two days. And we were saying that um, the ad revenue alone from that single video has probably earned him more than the 100-plus shorts that he's made previously. Because uh, every single video on his channel up until that point was exactly 27 seconds long. Uh, so it's, it's a bit of a leap of faith to go from shorts to long-form content, knowing how many creators have struggled with that. But I think once you've built up an audience, you have license and permission to to test new things on your channel. And yeah, it's worked out for... Uh, block facts, which is great to hear. Yeah, I, I'm very, very excited for them. And I, I think that it speaks to this idea that YouTube Shorts is still YouTube. And you are going to be making these shorts for a particular audience. And so if you're consistent with those shorts in the style of content, you can eventually turn those viewers into returning viewers like any channel. And you have the opportunity to make long-form videos on a otherwise a shorts channel, which I think is huge, huge benefit. And speaking of shorts, let's move on to the one new story that we wanted to talk about uh, this week, which is surrounding something that many creators may not be aware of because YouTube turned this permission on by default. You may want to look at this now, folks, if you're on a desktop computer. If you go to one of your longer videos and go into the video details page and scroll down towards uh, the very bottom of that page, you might see something called, I think it's called shorts sampling at this point. And basically what this allows any creator to do is potentially borrow audio, at the moment only audio, from your video content to use on their YouTube shorts. Now with YouTube Shorts, that permission doesn't exist because you have no choice. Other creators could potentially use your audio. But with long-form content, you can turn that permission on or off. But in YouTube's strange ultimate wisdom, they turned this permission on automatically for all creators and all of your content. Hmm. Which... uh, frustrated me a little bit you know if youtube is going to introduce such a huge powerful tool i'd like to know about it and have the choice to turn it on and before today or this week really in order to turn this permission off you had to go through all of your old videos and manually uncheck this permission and for some creators that could be thousands of videos but now thankfully youtube have added a bulk function to turn this off. So if you're in the video manager page, I know this is going to be a little difficult to visualize, but if you're in the video manager page where you can see all of your videos listed, if you tick the checkbox next to the video or however many videos you want to select, and then click on the top option, uh, which gives you lots of a list of things that you can change on your videos, towards the bottom of that list is audio sampling which essentially means that you can turn on or off audio sampling permission for your long-form videos for shorts at a mass level. That sounds like a really complicated thing that I've explained there. (laughs) Uh, It isn't. It's generally simple. But, yeah, trying to describe things on YouTube in only words, I've just realized is a very difficult thing to do, Dan. Is the fine print there still some videos can't opt out? So as far as I'm aware... 
shorts. Shorts are still anything that you make as a YouTube short is available to be used on anyone else's YouTube short as an audio sample. And I don't think that's going to change. I think that is inherent of a new YouTube shorts platform. Yeah. Pros and cons here. I mean, you you have people who see something, they want to react to it. And so now YouTube has given them a legitimate way to do that. What's interesting is it's audio only, though. At the moment, yes. And YouTube will correctly attribute your the source audio. So when you're scrolling through shorts, you may see like in some audio waves moving in a box in the bottom right-hand corner. That's the audio source of the short. And you can tap on that and you can see who else has used that audio and use the audio itself. Really, this is for popular music. Right. That, that's how it's generally used. But YouTube is just opening up to everybody on everybody's content. As And, you know, if you leave that permission on, then, yeah, you could get more exposure for your content by doing this audio sharing. So there are there are benefits to this. Right. I mean, I, I can see, because I'm trying to imagine any of my content that I make being used in this way, and I don't think it would. There's just, if if I don't have commentary, I just have silly music that is on the YouTube audio library already. And if I have commentary, then I don't really know how that would be relevant to someone else's video. So yeah, yeah exactly. I don't think it makes a difference for me personally uh, to leave it on or turn it off. I think... Right now, probably the people who need to be most aware of this are original music artists who are creating their own songs and they're using YouTube to share that content on their own channel. And they don't necessarily want anyone else using it. They might need to be aware of this tool. But there, I think there are also examples of where, I know people do this on TikTok a lot, where they ask, show me how you're a YouTuber without saying you're a YouTuber. And people might want to grab the audio to then insert into their YouTube shot that, that demonstrates that. I think in terms of the cons, just the annoying thing is that people didn't necessarily ask for this feature and they were automatically opted in. So I think there's a lack of awareness. I think there's probably 80 to 90% of creators who aren't even aware of this. And then they could one day just be scrolling through their through shorts and they hear their own audio on there and think, where's that come from? Is this uh, was somebody copyright copyright my content using my copyright content and because of the mechanisms and the terms of service yes they are and they're allowed to do it so i think you should be made fully aware of this and finally uh, although you can now bulk turn off this option you can't turn this option off by default in other words when you upload a video audio sampling is going to be turned on unless you turn it off and the natural solution to this is putting it in the upload defaults you know like where you set your video to private when it's finished uploading you'd want to set your audio sampling to on or off depending on your choice and as of now as of time was we're speaking about this maybe in a couple of weeks when this podcast goes live that option is available but it isn't right now yeah absolutely it it's uh something i think creators ultimately you know need to decide for themselves I think that YouTube should come out and say, you know, instead of turning it on by default, say, hey, there's a new feature. You should turn it on. Here's the benefit yeah. to you. And there is a benefit if somebody uses your audio and it's attributed to you. That is your content getting out to more people in a new way. So that's one way to think about it. But we should probably welcome today's guest. So uh, let's go ahead and do that. Yeah, let's jump into it. 
let's go ahead and introduce our guest today. Uh, it is Aurelius Tijan. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, guys. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, such a pleasure and an honor to be on this uh, podcast. Well, thank you for taking the time. Uh, just for anyone who doesn't know, uh, tell us a little bit about you and your YouTube channel. Yes, uh, my name's Aurelius. I'm from Down Under, Sydney, Australia, and uh, got a YouTube channel talking about digital marketing uh, for creators and creating digital products uh, for creators in this day and age. <laughs> and uh, happy to share all my thoughts on my digital product creation journey. Uh, I started back in four, 14 years ago when social media essentially didn't exist. So it was all just trying to find ways to make money at that time when I was part-time working uh, at a supermarket, <laughs> trying to make ends meet and making this whole online business a full-time gig. So now, of course, now with this uh, YouTube channel now taken seriously, two years ago, it's now grown to about over 50,000 subscribers just hit last week. So happy where, where it's going right now. And yeah, happy to just continue experimenting with uh, YouTube and this whole creator economy. Congratulations on 50,000. Thanks so much. I want to derail this, this conversation just very slightly already um, because I've always been intrigued to know this, uh, really, as, as uh, somebody who's a, I'm going to call you a down-under creator. And that All right. puts, puts <laughs> you in, in a, a bit of a unique position whereby most of the English-speaking world in terms of time zone are completely the opposite to yourself. You know, there's like a 10 to 12-hour time difference sometimes more. So when do you post your videos? Do you post them to meet an, an Australian audience or the English-speaking world audience, if that's not too much of a strange question to ask? No, not, not strange at all. Thankfully, with YouTube analytics, we can really dive deep into the demographics and geographical location of our audience. Uh, we can I can see exactly where they're from. I'd say 30% at least are from the U.S., yeah, you know, got some India, which comes second, but uh, now it's almost overtaking US because of what's happening with the world uh, right now. Um, but that's how I find out where my audience is from. So I cater to people mainly in the US, and they're probably the most biggest market and most profitable, I'd say, uh, because they're pretty much ready to buy whatever it is and whatever call to action I offer. So I really tend to cater towards uh, the US market and post and schedule my videos based on their times. So usually usually about 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time works for me during the week for my type of content, which is informational, how-to, tutorials, tutorial-based. So uh, otherwise, you know, it works pretty well for me in Sydney at the moment with Dialect Savings Off, I think it's winter here while it's summer in america um, that's 11 p.m for me which works well i can just either schedule it automatically or i can just hit that publish button or change the, the option to publish it and then that's pretty much it and next morning i'll just take care of engagement and comments things like that so yeah it works pretty well for me ah uh, so you so you wait until the morning like for me usually when i publish a video Mm -hmm. I'm going through anxiety for the next two or three hours, you know, just checking that the views are as you'd expect, making sure that if people post comments, they're not spotting something really obvious. It's like, oh, no, I need to 
you know, blur this out on the video or change something. Uh, you, you just publish it and, and right, have a good night's right. sleep. <laughs> yeah, actually, I, I kind of missed that point. Yeah, I do maybe stay up maybe an hour just to right, maybe right. comment like on those uh, those who actually comment straight away. Yeah. Some people like to be the first to comment. So you want to acknowledge that and acknowledge your loyal base, uh, fan base. And yeah, I do check uh, stats, but with YouTube, there's a bit of a delay with some of the stats, so I don't read into true, it too true. much. Yeah, they do tell you like, yeah, maybe this video is, uh, you know, the first six hours or first three hours, this is doing number two out of the last 10. So that's kind of how I gauge and then I can see, oh yeah, this resonates with my audience and I kind of know at this point now what will do well and what won't. You know, it's the tutorials and tips and stuff that you have shared before which had grown your channel. So anything that I share specifically with my channel it's anything based around digital products or canva or design related stuff for digital creators do you think this is a common dilemma for australian creators or so i guess some some creators maybe take advantage of that and appeal to uh i guess an australian slash new zealand zealand audience or am i thinking too much about this do, do you mean in terms of the time zone and the, yeah the publishing market? the ta- time zone but also maybe content as well i'm wondering because I guess in one sense, mm. the, the Australasia area is a, a bit of a strange niche in itself. You know, there's yeah. 30 million people there, and maybe you can cater more towards that particular audience. But as you say, with your content, this is quite universal. Maybe it's not so much of, mm. a, of a challenge for you. Yeah, I, I haven't found much of an issue. I've always uh, catered. Not not everyone <laughs> knows actually, actually where I'm from. Only those who are from Australia or New Zealand, maybe they can tell by the accent. Um, yeah. but, uh, I don't really, I guess, think about it too much. I just cater towards, you know, giving value, offering value that seems to be universal across, I guess, the globe. All right. I'm done with my Australian questions unless sport <laughs> comes up at any point about the ashes, uh, which it may do, it may do, but Dan, uh, I'll, I'll push it back to you. <laughs> Thanks. No, those are all uh, really good questions because I didn't even consider, Mm. what you might be thinking when it comes to the the time zones and when you want to publish and the argu- the audience you want to target. Uh, but speaking of the audience you want to target, a lot of your channel, when you just look at a quick glance, it looks like you cover a lot of different tools. You're offering a lot of value to a lot of creators in different aspects of their journey. If someone were to come to your channel for the first time, what are some of the things they could expect kind of on a regular week-by-week basis? On a regular week-by-week basis, you can expect Canva for sure. That seems to be an easy one. And because I've actually, I started back then designing websites and mock-ups, product mock-ups and stuff back then 14 years ago just to make ends meet. And, uh, you know, I was using Photoshop back then. So I always lean towards design. I'm not sure why. Maybe it's a skill that I just feel like uh, comes naturally to me. So Canva, of course, is such a huge uh, design tool that creators can use to create pretty much anything, YouTube channel art, YouTube thumbnails, social media graphics and all that stuff. So coming up with content based around Canva just seems really easy. So that's one of the topics that I cover and it's always on my ideas list. I've got a ton of topics around it that I can create. Um, Also, Tool reviews, I like to review software, you know, SaaS kind of tools and um, anything that will up-level, you know, level up a creator's uh, business, whether that's email marketing 
or it could be using paid ads or just by nurturing an audience, uh, talk about things like that. And also I like to lean on uh, personal development topics because I think that's important in terms of habits, productivity as a creator, not just with all the tips and strategies. I think what's also important and what it comes back to is your mindset. So I try to incorporate that uh, where I can, uh, but it does take me a lot more effort to create those kinds of content. So it seems like tutorials are so easy, but yeah, I've had thoughts about, you know, integrating more on the uh, self-improvement side of things. But that's why, I guess, when you look at my channel, FX, first glance, you can see all these different topics and maybe it's not niche enough. And that's something I'm still kind of, it's a challenge, I guess, in a way where knowing what your niche is. And I think uh, I watched another video from a couple of other big YouTubers with over 100,000 subscribers and they're even thinking, I think Sarah Dicci, she talked about in one of the videos how she doesn't fit in. She doesn't feel like she fits in in any particular box or niche. So it's always an ongoing journey for her. So I feel like that's where I'm stuck at at the moment. When you're when you're pivoting, though, to these different topics on your channel, do you feel like a couple of them do way better than others? Or do you feel like across the board, they all get kind of equal attention from the audience? Uh, definitely like digital products, anything I talk about digital products or Canva, they make up a lot of videos and I can easily get, you know, thousands of views to those videos. And I know in the long run, those videos are somewhat evergreen and I'll pick up organic search traffic from uh, those videos. Uh, whereas the ones that uh, I'd say nurture nurtures your subscribers, uh, those are the ones that talk more about your personal side and maybe talking about productivity or habits and how you start your day or do your morning routine. Not that I have done any of those videos, but uh, it's more so, you know, five things that I do to get more done. Those, I feel, nurture your existing subscribers, whereas you've got other videos like tips and tutorials that garner or attract a new audience. So I try to balance those in a way. So, it's you know, you've got this uh, set of videos that do nurture your existing audience while you have other videos trying to find new audience. So you kind of find that balance. Right. The It's it's just a, uh, it's interesting that it's working for you so well because th- it's the thing we tell everybody when they first start, you know, that you got to, you got to focus, pick one topic. And uh, in a way you are, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, the theme of your channel is, is really the niche to me. And, and one of the things that jumped out to me were just the sheer amount of tools that you you cover for creators and not not only software tools which i'd like to get into but also just hardware too you you recently did a, a tour of your setup you know right and yeah, you talked yeah. about the different products mm-hmm. you use in your setup which looks awesome by the way I, i'm looking at a thumbnail here and that that desk looks far too clean to be an actual <laughs> studio i always i always Doesn't say always anybody, who like sh- <laughs> anybody who shows their, their office tour and it's got a clean desk it's like that's not their office that's <laughs> That's no. a product. That's a product. That's, that's just a frame. But if you look underneath the table and outside the frame, yeah, it's got all this <laughs> clutter. But uh, yeah, like that. That's a good example. Like that's one of the videos where I was experimenting to see how my audience will engage in with that video. And little did I know, it did quite well. Not in terms of views, but I think a lot of uh, people, a lot of my subscribers appreciated it, and they, you know, give them a behind the scenes, you know, of basically how I run my business or whatnot, recording videos uh, specifically. 
yeah, it just gives them another perspective. But it didn't always start with, you know, talking about Canva and digital products, if you would ask me. Like, I actually didn't know what my niche was when I started started out. If you look back at one of my older videos, I was just talking about entrepreneurship in general, which was far too broad because there's so many other topics uh, around entrepreneurship. And I think you can go broader once you've got a bit more, you know, credibility, authority, and that audience and traction. If you're just starting out, you know, yeah, maybe start out with talking about one particular topic, niche, or even a tool. Sometimes you can specialize and really be an expert uh, at a specific tool. Uh, I've seen that happen, you know, with a few examples. So it's not about, yeah, sticking to one niche sometimes. And at this point, yeah, I'm ready to experiment. And with that desk tour example, that video, that's one of the examples where I was just experimenting because I did did go through a course by Matt Devella, which he recently uh, launched, I think it's called YouTube Mastery and uh, or Master YouTube, <laughs> one of those, YouTube Mastery. And you just talked about experiment. you got to experiment with different kinds of videos, see what um, will uh, stick, which ones and which ones don't, uh, won't, but it's just a matter of getting your videos out there and not letting perfectionism and analysing too much uh, because that's what's going to stop you. I do want to point out here, though, um, you you did an experimental video about a YouTube studio setup, but then the following two videos felt more back to like your your core focus, which was 20 digital product ideas and mm-hmm. nine amazing uses for Canva in four minutes. And those videos continue to perform well. So I think it's it's important as a creator to experiment. Absolutely. We, we always suggest I always suggest that you should be experimenting 20 percent of the time but also knowing what your audience expects on a regular basis and continuing to serve them. And so it allows you to do both, you know, a bit uh, content for you to flourish and grow as a uh, as a creator, but also content that continues to nourish and grows your community at the same time. Yeah, I 100% agree with what you said, Rob. This episode of Tube Talk is brought to you by the vidIQ mobile app. You can download it for free on the Android or iOS app stores. And it's here to help you do things like keep track of your competition, research your next video idea, optimize videos you've already posted, and more, all on the go. This is the perfect app to have literally in your back pocket while you're out and about and you find yourself with a few free extra minutes. Having the opportunity to sit down and optimize your latest video or research ideas for your upcoming video can be a game changer and save you a bunch of time as you work to create more YouTube content. Again, you can download the vidIQ mobile app for free on Android or iOS. Just search for vidIQ. So some of the things that you cover on your channel, like I said, are tools. Canva has come up uh, already a couple times in conversation, so we know that's a, a big theme on your channel. Let's talk about some of the other things that you use though as, as a creator well first of all we've got to we've got to find out whether there's any scandal to be had here are all your <laughs> thumbnails created with canva i'd say i'd say half, half <laughs> you got him uh, got you, know, you got me <laughs> <laughs> there are just some things like with canva it has its limitations yeah 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 and yeah you want to put a bit more effects perhaps but canva doesn't have that but i love that canva has a background remover you just press like one button and then it just removes the background. So most of my thumbnails with myself in it, obviously I remove the backgrounds and then I place it uh, on a different kind of background that I can um, uh, place, right? 
Interesting. Is that free in Canva then, background remover? No, it's a, it's actually a Canva Pro or ah, paid option. Okay. Right. But um, yeah, worth every dollar in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, when you don't when you don't know how to remove the background of your th- photo, that can take so long when you're just trying to make a simple thumbnail. So I could definitely see the value in that. Some of the other things that you use, though, uh, outside of thumbnails, like let's let's talk about just organizing your ideas and and getting everything down. What what's your favorite tool, or maybe multiple tools that uh, you use for that? Yeah, for organizing pretty much my whole life and business, I'd, I'd say Notion is the tool, mm. the go-to tool. I was wondering what the hype was about because uh, a lot of other creators were talking about it. They were sharing their thoughts and recommending it. So I, I was I was like, okay, what's Notion all about? Got onto it and uh, it's such a powerful tool. And the more you use it, the more you'll find more uses of it. So it's uh, organizing video ideas, for example, or like my social media calendar, which, uh, you know, you can do for Instagram, Facebook or whatnot, or integrate all of it. But the way I like to use it is by using a thing called a a Kanban system, which uh, Toyota developed, I guess. Uh, I'm pretty sure it came from them. Uh, There's a book about it. So it's how they, it's a production line, kind of, if you look at it uh, once, you know, the chassis is made or something, then you, you make the engine. So in terms of your YouTube videos, you've got your ideas in one section. And then once you want to take that idea, you, uh, the next step would be to either outline or script it or maybe do some research in terms of uh, keyword research uh, and knowing the demand or volume for that. And then you move it from scripting to recording, obviously. You've got to record the video. So I like how you can set this up. I know other tools like Trello and Asana can do this, but I like that uh, Notion gives you so much more creative flexibility in terms of how you want it to look and how you can also embed like tables within a table. So there's so much that you can do with it. And I'd say that it's perhaps the number one project management system or yeah, productivity tool more like it that I use to basically essentially organize everything. And then I've got thing, a tool called Things. So it's a Mac-only app, unfortunately, but uh, that's the main tool that I use to list down all my to-dos. And I find it's just really beautiful to use, really intuitive. You can drag and drop your to-do list task in different different priorities. So... And I like that it can sync with your phone and your iPad, just like most apps these days. But those are the main tools that I use uh, in terms of productivity. Just quickly going back to Notion, Aurelius, you're using this as a, a an independent uh, creator. You're not. It's not using a team perspective. This you're not doing something in Notion and handing it off to another person. You're just using this to organize your own personal um, work process. That's a great question. Actually, I share one of the, like, for example, my YouTube content calendar with my video editor. Oh, right. As soon as, as I guess, I've completed a video or recorded a video more so, I then move it to the next line, which is to edit. So then that's where my video editor comes in and she knows what to edit. So that's where the collaboration, I guess, the team involvement comes in. Yeah, that's how I'm using it with 
team, if you would ask me. I, I really, at some point, should sit down with you because <laughs> I'm I'm also using Notion myself to keep track of my own like video scripts, and I'm I'm not taking full advantage of it at all. I write down the basically what will hopefully become the title of the video. It probably ends up changing as like the the Kanban chart that you mentioned. Uh, you know, I have a scripting and then in production and then finished three columns. That's it, and oh, and I just like that. I write my whole script in it and. Yeah, then I, I use that because I'm my monitor's right here by the camera, so I just use that to you know read as I'm going. So, <laughs> uh, but I guess what I just wanted to say was Notion. Uh, I have used it, and it is as simple or as complex as you need it to be. It is very very flexible. That's a that's a great way to define it, I guess. Like what uh, Notion is, because yeah, it can be as simple or advanced as you want it to be. I started with uh, like you, you know, you either have like three columns and and then that that actually evolved to more and more <laughs> for me <laughs> because I just felt like uh, I, w- I could be more organized having more columns. Uh, I can read it out to you. It's like I've got ideas, then to script and ready to record and then to edit and then editing and then edited. So that's after my editor's finished editing. And then that's where I go and review the video and then I've got SEO thumbnails, and then I've got published. So there's quite a lot in the production line, I guess. But it helps me know exactly where that video is at at this current time. I'm curious, from start to finish, how long does this take? Not in terms of hours, but like, say, days. Like, if you start something on Monday, you would have the final products by Friday or longer or shorter time period. Yeah, just to give you perspective, like I've I need to record a video after this uh, talk, and that recording I guess will take me an hour. But uh, yeah, I'd say about two, three days max. Okay. Yeah, but ideally, <laughs> you know, I I like to be six videos ahead, for instance, and have that all set. But yeah, reality is, you know, we, as YouTubers, sometimes we do things last minute, and we yeah. our creativity comes when we're kind of under pressure or <laughs> when time's, you know, ticking. Yeah, just just to give you like a complete contrast to, to that, uh, and this is my way of working, which is I have an idea in my head, I'm going to make a video about it now, which is kind of <laughs> what I did today. You know, exactly. I, I started at uh, 10 o'clock, I finished it at 4 p.m., so I did it in about three or four hours. But, you know, that also has its problems because... I guess I have certain limitations as a creator, but I'm so protective of my content that I'm scared of handing it over to an editor and so on. So, and and I'm not suggesting that people should follow the way I do things, but it's it's just always been how I work. But I, yeah, I mean these tools certainly do help you. Once I think there's more than one person involved uh, in, in the production process, it it wouldn't. I don't think it'd be possible to collaborate even with one extra person without using something. And yeah, it's it's like you can't just send somebody an email and say it's in a Google Drive. Can you can you edit it, please? Yeah, go ahead, <laughs> do your best. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think it kind of starts like that, and then you realize that everything's all over the place. So you need some sort of system or tool to have it all, you know, organized. I remember back in the day, Dan, when you were supposed to be my editor. That didn't that never worked out well, did it? <laughs> I I kept oh, really? asking him. You know, hey, you know, do you want me to edit your next video? And he's so hesitant and finally just admitted, like, I, I'm just going to edit these. <laughs> he just couldn't do it. <laughs> couldn't part with it. 
So do you still do do editing then? I, I edit my own videos uh, for for vidIQ and okay. and for myself when I'm not doing vidIQ stuff. And uh, Rob edits his videos. And oh, okay. uh, personally, I, I, I probably can't afford you. Yeah. <laughs> well, personally, I'm I'm not as attached to my videos. If someone wanted to come in and edit them, I would just be over the moon. Like, yeah, here you go. Here's all of them. You can re-edit the ones I've already done too. Right. I think maybe it's not so much. I'm protective of the content. Sorry, we're going off on a bit of a tangent here, but the way I create my content is that I I know where I'm going to start and end, but the 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 bit in the middle just it all comes through as creative juices. Like once I record the first the intro, something pops into my head as how to take that story next. But if I was just recording, say everything to camera all at once, I wouldn't I wouldn't get the flow of w- what I want to present. By, and then sending it to somebody else to edit and then reviewing it and then doing another section. I still can't comprehend how I would be able to do that. And again, this, this, I'm not suggesting anybody be like me. It's probably, you know, one of the blockers, one of the, one of the things that holds creators back, not being willing to, to hand things over to other people. It's just, I, I find this type of conversation fascinating. Yeah. I, I know exactly what you're talking about, uh, Rob. And, uh, I've had that challenge as well. That's why for the longest time I was editing my own videos. And for transparency, I edit my own videos when it comes to where I need creative processes or, yeah. for instance, that desk tour video that I did, I, I edit, edited that. Yeah. And you can't really delegate that in a way where your, create, your thoughts, your creative kind of thinking you can't say, oh, I wanted to kind of pan over. I mean, you, you probably can, like you said, but I feel it's just so much harder. And I, I actually enjoy the creative process of editing sometimes. But when it comes to really simple tutorials, like here's how to uh, design this particular thing or here are five tips on this, I can outsource and delegate that pretty pretty easy in my opinion. I, I want to just kind of stay on the subject for just a minute. So one of the things that I'd imagine a lot of listeners out there would would love is an editor, or at least to be burdened with the problem of how do I work with an editor? You know, what would you say is a good time? And it's, I guess the easiest thing to be like, well, how many subscribers should you have until you get an editor? It's not really, it doesn't really work like that. But what, when is a good time to start looking at those types of investments into a YouTube channel? And I'll say this, we, we talk to a lot of different creators all the time. And some of, sometimes when people think of investing in their channel, they ask us, hey, I'm ready to invest in my channel, so I'm going to buy some Google ads. Is that a good idea? And we always kind of tell them, I mean, you can do that, but we, we always recommend you do these other things. You know, maybe you invest in a course, you invest in your own education, or if you can afford an editor, maybe it's time to do that. Uh, so when, when someone's looking to invest in their channel, what, what do you recommend first? Thumbnails? Is it editing? And from there, when is the right time to do that? There's, uh, I guess, two sides of the uh, story. Like you can either hire an editor at the start, because I think if that's a roadblock for you in terms of the technical aspects of editing and the tools and get that you feel like that's exactly what's stopping you from releasing videos, then perhaps, yeah, throw in a bit of money into editing so that you can actually get some videos rolling. And then there's another side where, yeah, you can go out, maybe get a course, watch a few video tutorials on how to actually edit a video. And then once you build some traction and once you start monetizing or start generating some some income, then reinvest that money back and just start out with maybe a one video at a time. If it's if your schedule's like three three videos a week, maybe 
hand off one video a week to an editor. So that way you're not going to throw all your money, you know, once if that's what how you want to transition uh, slowly. Otherwise, if you want to go all in, then that might be a better approach to just find a full-time editor. And there are ways or sites that you can go to to find affordable uh, video editors. But uh, there's no rule of thumb, really. It's not like uh, after you've reached 10,000 subscribers and then hired an editor. I feel I went with my gut. And not only that, but I've got a family. So I looked at time, effort, kind of balance and making sure I'm not sitting in front of my computer editing my videos till whatever, 2, 3 a.m. in the morning. Because at the end of the day, for me, it is a business. And uh, as much as I love the creative processes of, you know, as a creator uh, making videos, I still see it as a business and that uh, I see it as a long-term thing that I'll keep doing. So I've got to think smarter as opposed to thinking like, you know, this is something that I'm obligated to do all the time and that only I can do. Uh, so that's where I went ahead and I'm like, yeah, let's take the leap of faith and find someone and then just take it one step at a time. They they learned how to edit the videos based on the existing videos that I have on my channel. So it's just incremental. As you they get used to your editing style, yeah, it just gets easier. I know when you need to um, get an editor. You ready for this? It's it's when you you no longer get a thrill from putting a J cut in in the timeline. You don't get that surge of oh, that was such a good edit. You that don't feel true. that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you, you need help. So, one of the other things I want to ask you, and and uh, this just kind of goes back a little bit to different tools and things that creators can use. Where does one find an editor? And uh, when I ask this, a lot of times the answer is actually I already knew somebody. But if you were if you're a creator isolated in your own bubble, right? Like no one you know edits. Do you have any places you'd recommend people go to kind of like look at people to hire to do thumbnails, to do video editing, things like that? There, there is a service called Video Husky, which is one where they they act as a kind of not not so much an agency. It's like a portal where you go and tell them what your specifications are. Here's your video, and then they have their team of existing video editors to come in and edit your videos. So they will use that production line kind of Kanban system where they will uh, edit your videos. So you don't need to worry about finding a qualified video editor. They've got a team already existing, and usually they assign a dedicated uh, video editor for you so then you don't keep using different editors, and then you're getting inconsistent kind of uh, edits all the time. Okay. Yeah. So there are services like this that uh, mm-hmm. professionals are standing by. <laughs> yeah, you can. Yeah, there's 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 a few. There's a couple, and there's I think there's another one as well. Can't think of it from the top of my head though. What what this all goes back to though is the fact that your your YouTube channel and everything around it is is a business, you know, and and everything we're talking about today is essentially that it, you know ways you can invest back into your business and help you know help it grow. You can get more efficient. You can make more content. You can do more of the things you need to do. One of the other things around that is that you you have a mailing list, and uh, you you even have a tool for that listed here uh, on our notes, but. I, I want to talk about before we get into that. What for creators at large? What is the importance of a mailing list? Why get a mailing list? And what do you put on a mailing list? That's just very specific for everybody. You know, 
obviously, but what, what kind of things would, do you put on your mailing list? And then what would you recommend say a travel channel put on theirs? Yeah, that's such an important subject. And email marketing is overlooked in my opinion. And one that they don't, most creators don't really think about even ones that are quite established. They're putting all the eggs in one basket. So the problem is with that, if you're building all your, your audience on one platform, such as YouTube or Instagram, whatever it may be, if one day the algorithm changes or your account gets hacked or whatever reason, like your account gets closed, pretty much your business is gone. You know, you can rebuild, but it's just it's going to be such a hassle and uh, you don't want to be in that position where you've got all your eggs in one basket, essentially. So that's where email marketing comes in. The reason why is because you have control over your audience, not in a way where you're going to, you know, uh, what do you hypnotize them? Not in that way, but <laughs> more so technically, you can actually export out your your list, your email list, into like a spreadsheet. And then if you do want to import it back, you've got that backup. So that's the main thing uh, with email marketing. But not only that, with email marketing, you can publish newsletters in the format and the way you want, the timing that you want. The rules are based on you, of course, as long as you comply with can spam law and whatever other laws in different countries and states. The that's you know, email marketing's played a, such a big role for me. For instance, PayPal one day decided to shut down my account for no apparent reason. I had my account for 14 years, 14 years a good standing, and then I, I had active subscriptions as well where I had members paying me every single month. And then they just decided one day, yep, let's just shut down your accounts, permanently limit your account, and you no longer will have access to PayPal. So pretty much my income was gone overnight. That's where I learned the importance of not putting your eggs in one basket. Uh, I did. I do have an alternate now, but uh, the moral of the story is, you know, you don't want to be in that position. But I was able to bounce back easily because I've I had my email list. I was able to tell them, sorry that this happened, and you need to subscribe again if you want to get access to my membership. So, yeah, it actually did better mm. that next round. So. Email marketing such a powerful tool. And actually, the return on investment is a lot higher than if you were to, you know, compared to social media. Statistically, that's what uh, I found based on my uh, research and Googling information on, you know, in terms of, from a marketing standpoint, yeah, email marketing seems to give you a better return on investment. So anyone, any creator who is online and they've somewhat built some traction and an audience, I would definitely encourage those to put a call to action, whatever it may be, even if you don't have anything to give away as a lead magnet, they call it, uh, such as a free ebook or a report or a template, whatever it may be, just put that newsletter out there and say you post on a weekly basis and that will get some subscribers, at least you've got them. And the beauty of email marketing as well as a creator is that once you have your video published, you can announce it and alert those subscribers. So that gives a nice push and influx of uh, views watching your videos. And the all the other side as well is that I seem to find the view duration of those from my email list seem to be higher because I've built that loyalty with them, that uh, I guess that, that bond with them. 
And that's how I utilize email marketing. One part of it, of course. So if I wanted to get started with that, what would you recommend I, I use uh, to, to help me out? I, I personally use Drip because it's got a lot more advanced segmentation and targeting that you can do. But for a beginner, I would recommend ConvertKit. It's clean. They've got landing pages that you can use with a few clicks of your mouse button. So you don't need to worry about all the CSS and HTML and integrate it with integrating it with WordPress or whatever platform you're using. So really simple to use. And I think the first thousand subscribers is free. So that's mm. a good way to start. MailChimp has a, some, something similar, but I'd rather use ConvertKit. And from the video perspective, if you had one tip to encourage people to this call to action, uh, what might it be? In terms of email marketing or... Yeah, like should it be at the beginning of a video, the end, just after you've provided some value in in the video? I'm just wondering, I guess it's the same mentality as how do you get somebody to subscribe to your channel? I mm-hmm. think the um, to get them to go off of YouTube to do something for an individual is pr- perhaps an even bigger leap. Yeah, yeah. So I haven't experimented enough with this, but I usually, I mean, a couple of videos I have uh, used that call to action where it's, did you know I've got this newsletter where there's over 10,000 subscribers? So join it and link in the description. But I always have it in the description anyway, right. kind of at the top top fold of that description. So it's always there. Even if I forget to say it in the video, it's always there anyway. Or you can always put a lower third, I guess. You could do that. But I seem to lean towards the more natural approach. Uh, I don't I don't want to be too pushy with that. But um, you know, if you don't if you don't mind, then why not add it? I don't really have any preference in terms of adding it in the beginning or I'd rather add it to the end, actually. So email campaigns can be super, super helpful, super important. I think, like, as as for me, anyway, I'm just speaking from experience now. Like, that's mm-hmm. just something that I've personally taken for granted. You know, the, the, I, I, I love being able to just focus on the one thing, that is YouTube. And I, I think it's important to have conversations like this to remind, you know, people that there's other elements to this. It is good not to put all your eggs in one basket. Not that... The story wasn't YouTube shut you down. You know, PayPal was the one in this case. Yeah. Yeah. But it's still getting people to join your community at large is so, so valuable, which is really cool. Uh, there, There are some other tools here on our list, and I don't have a nice, smooth transition. Like, they've all been really smooth here. Um, are there <laughs> any any uh, of particular note here that, that you want to discuss? There, There's uh, one here about link in bio service. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So these days, if you're not familiar what a LinkedIn bio service is or a tool, think of Link, uh, Linktree. I'm sure many creators have heard of that. But because social media only allows you to add one link, external link in your bio or author page or about page, that's where these LinkedIn service or link LinkedIn bio sorry services come in. I use Koji not only because I'm sponsored by them, but I actually use it. Uh, because I like that it integrates with uh, the ability to actually sell digital products or services or shout-outs or kind of cameo shout-outs if you want to do that and buy me a coffee kind of tip jars that you can add to it as opposed to using Linktree, which purely acts as a 
page where you've got a list of links. So that, that's the difference between Koji and Linktree. You've got the ability to add and actually sell products or services as a creator, which is great for another monetization strategy opposed to YouTube ads. So if you kind of think outside the box, you know, you don't just want to make or try to make money and think about making money from YouTube ads alone or the, the Google ads that is. Um, so that's another way of monetizing your audience, monetizing your channel. And that's what I love about using services like Koji. So these are some of the different, you know, websites and services you use as a creator. We've talked about Notion. We've talked about Canva and Koji and Drip. Now, there's one problem. None of these services are sponsoring this episode of Tube Talk. All right. However, there's one that does have kind of a stake, some skin in the game here. And that is vidIQ. Uh, you have admitted to using vidIQ. Would you would you help us out here? Would you tell us a little bit about your experience with uh, of course that, that save, save the best to last. <laughs> yeah, so vidIQ has played a uh, a big role in many of the videos that uh, ranked, I guess, number one now. Like uh, I've got some on the first page, a lot on the first ranking actually that first listing when someone searches for something like um you know how to change the color of a text or how to to change you know these simple things i'm able to find those exact keywords key phrases using vidIQ and the fact that you actually get actual numbers for how many people are are searching for that term that's what uh, stood out for me compared to a couple of the other research keyword research tools and i like that you know integrates of course with your browser extension so when you actually go and use youtube as a creator yourself you can see how many subscribers this creator has all at a glance you don't actually need to go to their channel to see so little things like this and just engagement things like the vph which is the views per hour that gives you another measurement of how well your video is doing, and all these other statistics that uh, shows in one dashboard, like best time to publish or when your audience is most, you know, on their desk or whatever. Uh, so, but the main tool I use is that keyword research tool, and that um, I like those insights that you can get not only with the search volume, but you've also got the competition and the overall score. Overall score, which gives you that score of a hundred whether this keyword's good to go or not. So if it's something that uh, really is too saturated, then I tend to not go for it. I look for something that's a little more long tail. And then with that, I usually find that I uh, I rank, I end up ranking anyway for those broader terms. So get vidIQ is the moral of the story. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag very, very, very sponsored. (laughs) Highly sponsored. Call to action is to... Yeah, give, get no other alternatives are available. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm getting all my keyword ideas right now from vidIQ, and I'm getting, I'm right, noting it down in Notion. So then, also in Notion, I can, I'm noting down how many searches uh, for that term, so I don't lose track. But also, you can, of course, export those findings from vidIQ, which is a great addition. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Um, and if you don't have an answer for this, I guess we can edit this out. But is there anything vidIQ could add that 
you think would make your life 10 times better or even one times better. Definitely. <laughs> that, that would just there be is the one, same. There is one, one thing. There is one thing, uh, but I'm not sure if I've explored enough to maybe it, it, it does exist, but an A-B split tester for your thumbnails. This is something that YouTube has actually teased themselves doing. Right. Okay. It, I think it's many, many years, yeah. many, many years have said they're working on it and then they keep saying, yeah, ah. but in the meantime, what are we going to do? We're just going to wait until our <laughs> thumbnail click through rates. You know, we have to do the guessing work ourselves. Fair enough. Fair enough. That, uh, uh, just for anyone who doesn't know this, this would basically require you to make two thumbnails so that you can see which one is going to perform better. And sometimes that may sound like double the work, but really sometimes it's a matter of taking you as the subject of a thumbnail and just moving you to the left side of the frame instead of the right. Which one is going to perform better? You know, So you'd whip up two thumbnails and this feature would be able to basically put them out there to different people. And whichever one does better, you'd be able to go in and say, all right, this is the primary thumbnail now. This is the one to use. That is true, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I would just add as I think that the challenge for anybody who creates this um, a, a tool such as this, the limitation is in YouTube itself because to have a true reflection of Airbnb testing, you would be, need to be able to show two different thumbnails to do diff two different people at exactly the same time, not this thumbnail for thirty minutes and then this thumbnail to for thirty minutes because you know as we talked about already, video velocity fluctuates so quickly mm -hmm. even during the first couple of hours of a video's life but yeah i mean it it would be a another nice thing to have certainly but i think youtube really need to pull a finger out and actually release whatever they've been working on for the last five <laughs> years to, to the public so those are uh, some of the tools that that you've been using as a creative and you have a whole business attached to this you you offer uh uh, coaching and, and things like that as well. Now, we've talked to a lot of people who offer these types of services, but it's always in the context of YouTube. And what's interesting about you is that it's not just in the context of YouTube. Can you explain a little bit more about the, like, the clients you work with and, and how, how this kind of goes beyond just YouTube? That's right. I mean, YouTube alone is just a part-time gig for me. I've run a digital marketing agency and I sell eBooks and wholesale content on the side. So I actually started doing that. And the YouTube thing really just was a, an experiment for me and a way to, for me to teach others what I know. But yeah, it goes beyond YouTube if you were to look at it in terms of monetization. And is that what you meant, Dan? You, when, when I thought, when I looked at your coaching service, it just, it mentioned YouTube, not even first on the list, you know, which I just thought was really interesting. You're, you're coaching people how to be essentially just entrepreneurs in the digital space which I thought was really cool. Yeah, that's yeah. You, the coaching consulting side of it, that's just mm -hmm. another aspect of uh, making money as a creator. That's the, that's the bottom line. And, you know, on top of that, you've got brand deals and sponsorships and uh, other things like that. Yeah. My, my hope for listeners is that they just break this mindset of, I have to make YouTube videos. I have to grow my YouTube channel, YouTube, 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 when this can become a business. This can, this can branch out in so many ways. I was just going to ask, Aurelius, um, if you were to slice and dice uh, your business up, up how percentage-wise, how much does the YouTube channel consume of your your week? Because you publish one video a week, so obviously YouTube is not a the the big priority. That that is true, yeah. And like you said, Dan, I'm not letting YouTube consume me too much. 
And I got to focus on the big picture and which is building a, a business, right? That'll last for the next five, 10 years. And do I see myself when I'm 50, 60 or whatever <laughs> it may be still doing YouTube? I can worry about that later, but for now, I'm enjoying this. I'm riding the wave, but um, you know, there's, sorry, <laughs> I lost I lost track of what you asked, actually asked me, Rob, what was it? If you were to put into percentage how much time oh, you yeah. spend on YouTube. Yep. So percentage wise, I'd, I'd say 30, 40%, like okay. around there. Yeah. Because uh, overall I'm working about 25, 30 hours a week. You know, that, that goes with, you know, building a personal brand, uh, which is YouTube partly and uh, revamping my site, for instance, and things that will actually, actually grow the business and not so much just maintaining it or putting out fires because I don't see that as growing the business. So like training the team as well and just sticking to our goals and which is where Notion comes comes in as well. Like I write all my goals down in inside Notion and refer back to it. So making sure I stay aligned with that. And uh, in the future, I do plan on releasing a software tool uh, for designers and digital product creators to be able to create ebooks effortlessly in a way. So that's going to require a lot of my time, and that's where I see the spurt of time being put into as opposed to right now, which which is 25, 30 hours a week. So I know there are there will be times as an entrepreneur, you will have these moments where you actually do need to hustle and put in those hours and that hard work. Um, but at the start, yeah, like for any creator or entrepreneur, you got to put in those that hard work, that time. It's not going to happen overnight. And the creators that you see now on YouTube, whatever, you don't see the behind the scenes of what they're actually doing. You see the polished version. And uh, sometimes uh, they're putting in hours of work. And I've seen so many stories of, you know, these creators, uh, you know, putting in so much blood, sweat and tears into their business. So, yeah, there's definitely more to YouTube. And um, the, the way I'm seeing it right now is long-term, it's a long game, it's a marathon. Don't focus so much on, you know, getting you know, subscribers quickly or looking for that magic pill or that silver bullet that's going to get you to a 1,000 subscribers, 4,000 watch hours. Yeah, so if you, if you change your mindset in that way, then things will just, you, you'll just be a lot more patient and be resilient, persistent and consistent in what you're, you're doing. Well, before we wrap up, is there, uh, where, where would you like to send people if they want to learn more about you and, and uh, you know, all the things you, you do? Well, since it's a YouTube tube talk, so <laughs> True. feel free to go to my YouTube channel at uh, youtube.com forward slash Aurelius Tijin. All right, Aurelius, thank you so much for uh, joining us. Pleasure. Thanks, thank Dan. You. Thanks, Rob. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tube Talk brought to you by vidIQ. Head over to vidIQ.com slash tube talk for today's show notes and previous episodes. Enjoy the rest of your video making day.